The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning. Our scripture this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah, and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. This is the word of the Lord. To God. Amen. Whew. Let's give God another round of applause. Man. That was beautiful. God is so good. He does not forsake the righteous. And indeed, we need our steps ordered by his word um, every day in every way. Um, our God has been so good to downtown church. We've seen so many great signs over the last uh, several weeks, and uh, we're so encouraged. Um, I'll never forget the text Michael Davis sent to me. He said, we have over 100 adults at church before 945 on a Sunday morning. That's, that's kind of like God parting the waters for uh, Egypt to go through. Uh, but no, seriously, the, the response to the Sunday school classes, um, we were so encouraged even just this week to... Um, to hear a couple of our elders talk about how their children are anxious to go to Sunday school uh, because of the teaching and because of the teachers and the excitement that those teachers are pouring into our children. It's so, so encouraging. And give a round of applause to our teachers. And um, typically in the month of January, we see our giving take kind of a, a nosedive. And uh, typically we see around forty to $45,000 uh, given in January. And yet uh, we just found out this past week that at the end of January, um, you guys, we gave $85,500 in the month of January, which is historic uh, for this church. And I think what is so encouraging is that the largest gift was under $5,000. And that's how it should look, is that all of us are, are saying, this is our body, this is our church, we're supporting that, we're making it uh, part of our regular giving, and uh, I can't tell you how encouraged we are um, at that report. So you keep it up. Let's keep going. Uh, let's make 2020 strong. Uh, let's look now at... Um, Isaiah chapter 1, and uh, let me pray. And I'm going to pray for Michael Davis. He is preaching at our sister church in Nashville. Uh, Kirk Ackeson is a church planner, planning a cross-ethnic, cross-class church in North Nashville called All Souls. It's an EPC church. And um, so let's just pray for Michael too and for that church as we go to his word. Father, you are good, and you're good all the time. Uh, we thank you that... Uh, you don't have to give us any more signs than the cross of Jesus Christ. And, um, and we thank you, though, that you do, that you, you reach beyond the cross to show and to strengthen our, our weak and feeble faith uh, to help us know that you are God. Uh, thank you, O oh God, for what you're doing in this body. Thank you, O oh God, for your goodness and your kindness to us. And Father, we pray that, um, that you will extend your kindness to all souls in Nashville, to Kirk and, and Deb Atkinson, um, and to that church plant 
Oh God, we know the struggles in the early days, and we just pray that you would bless them and strengthen them, give them vision beyond themselves, Lord. Give them vision for Nashville that is in line with your word and is good in your sight, and Lord, would you bless it. Uh, Be with Michael as he is preaching this morning. May your spirit rest upon him. Um, Father, I pray that he would uh, preach with the power of your spirit. And we know that your word does not go out null or void. And so we just beg you to do a mighty work in that church body uh, to bring hearts and minds more in conformity with your truth and therefore their life's purpose. Um, And Father, we pray the same for us this morning as we launch into uh, this great book of Isaiah. God, we pray that you would bless us over the many weeks that we will camp out right here, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that we would hear the rebuke and we would hear and see a Savior, that we would see you, our God, who saves sinners, who is so for us that you are not unwilling to send us into exile. You're not unwilling to to help us experience lack that we might find our fulfillment in you, the only one that can genuinely give us what we were created to know and be. And so, God, we pray that your spirit would come this morning. Lord, I need you this morning in a mighty way. Would you strengthen me? Lord, speak through my failing voice, and um, would you accomplish your purposes in uh, the next several minutes? Uh, Get glory for yourself and lift Jesus high. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in every football game and in, in every, uh, every football team, uh, they not only have coaches on the field, but they have coaches in the box. That kind of um, mysterious box that coaches sit and look out over the field. And if you're a coach on the field and you're not listening to the coach in the box, you're doing yourself a huge disservice because the ones in the box can see it all. Their perspective is better than your perspective. And as we come to Isaiah, it begins with these words, the vision of Isaiah And what we're having here, what God has gifted us with, is the ability to get up over this world, to get up and over our lives, that we might see clearly, that we might change our course where change is needed, that we might heed correction where correction is needed, and that we might be drawn higher up and deeper into the one who not only chides us about our sin, not only points out our sin and rebellion, but also atones for our sin and rebellion. The God who is faithful to speak and judge, but also faithful to atone. That's the message of Isaiah. Isaiah, the the name Isaiah means Yahweh saves. And over the next 43 sermons through the book of Isaiah, that's the theme that is going to continually be put into our face and into our hearts and into our minds. We have a God who will not give up on us. You see, God is speaking to Israel. He's speaking to Israel and Judah, and he is telling them of their sin. 
He's telling them both the present sin and future sin, and he's telling them and explaining present judgment as well as future judgment, but he doesn't end there because he ends the book talking about a new Jerusalem. He ends the book talking about the hope of a new heaven and a new earth. And in between, we see one of the most uh, vivid descriptions of Jesus our Savior, the suffering servant who does not stand in judgment on his people, but submits himself under judgment that we might have life, that we might have hope, and that we might be called back, not by guilt and shame, but by the grace and mercy and steadfast love of the Holy One of Israel. These are all the themes. And friends, I feel like Isaiah is a book that meets us as a church right where we are. As a church, we face the question in 2020, will we allow worldly leaders and the alliances we build with them tear us apart? Or will we be loyal to the one king? Will we turn from trusting our idols and walk by faith? Will we be the church? Will we seek to extend his kingdom? Or will we get so caught up in the kingdoms of the world that we become just as skeptical, just as critical, just as hopeless, just as hateful, and just as unforgiving as the nations and the world around us. You see, Isaiah is calling his church, his nation, Israel, to be the people of God in the midst of an evil and desperate world. And yet what we see is that the temptation to, to ally oneself with worldly power, to shortcut faith with manipulation, is so tempting that even the great Hezekiah cannot hold fast and hold true. And therefore, we see, though, that even our leaders, even though our leaders fail, even though our churches fail, even though there are setbacks day in and day out, we have a God who will not fail. Friends, that's the message of Isaiah. And that's the message that we need to embrace this morning. So as we do, I'm going to give us kind of a 30,000-foot summary, if you will, or, or six themes of the book of Isaiah. And here's the first one. A theme that we're going to hear over and over, it's this. The Lord is the Lord of history. The Lord is the Lord of your present. The Lord is in the details. The Lord reigns sovereignly over our lives, and he is ordering all things for his glory and our good. Listen to it. The, the vision of Isaiah, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It would be like, um, you know, God writing us a letter today and say, you know, in the days, the vision of Bob <laughs> to the church, in the days of um, maybe Clinton and Bush W. and Obama and Trump. You see, these names mean practically nothing to most of us. Jotham, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, but they meant everything to the people of God. They knew exactly. They had context. And friends, that context is their present context and their future context. 
I love the Old Testament because of this, because God is speaking, not necessarily through commands and didactic teaching, but he's teaching through story. He's teaching through present day life. And the story is clear. God tells Israel that their leaders will betray them, but he will not. We see it in Ahaz. Ahaz was king and he allied himself with Assyria. And it went okay. He, he did so out of fear. He was like, we can't just trust God. We have to ally ourselves with power outside of God. I mean, that surely, I mean, God needs our help. He needs somebody on the throne down here. He needs somebody who's going to reign well and accomplish uh, his kingdom agenda. Surely, we need this kind of president. I mean, this meets us right here where we are in 2020. And yet we can learn from Ahaz that it is wrong to put our hope in world leaders. We, it is wrong. He, he gives us Hezekiah who stands firm, who is lifted up as a great king, but who at the end finally gets so desperate. He's like, if I don't do something, the kingdom will end. And so he too allies himself with Assyria. And Sennacherib, the new, the new uh, king of Assyria, demands that he pay this high price. And he, he pays this huge uh, price with a lot of his treasury, almost depleting his treasury. And you know what Sennacherib does? He goes in right after receiving the gift and he takes control of Judah and Jerusalem. And it was that act that was the fall of Jerusalem. It was that act that ended the glory days of Jerusalem. Dear friends, the story is clear. No matter how desperate things get, keep trusting God. Don't put your trust in worldly pleasures and worldly leaders. You might be here this morning and you may be in an unfulfilling marriage and you feel that God is saying, stay true and you feel weak, and you feel desperate, and you think, I deserve better. But God says, hold true, and you're going to get better. And it's me. You may be single, and you're tired of waiting. And God says, wait, wait. Don't get desperate and use the means of the world for pleasure. But trust me. You may be in a job that you hate, and God says, stay true. Stay strong. Be my witness. Do your work in, in, in accordance with who I am and what I'm about. Don't allow current circumstances to define your faith commitment to God. Abandon hopelessness. Your God reigns on high. The Lord is king of your history and he is writing a story, dear friends. And he's not finished. Don't stop the story with your disobedience. Secondly, the Lord is supreme over idols. He's supreme over those things we look to to give us life outside of God. Isaiah 45, 5. I am God, the only God there is. Besides me, there are no real gods. Now, he's been making this point for 45 chapters, and he's going to make them again for the next several. There is no life outside of God. I received another call this week, and yet another friend has given up, at least in this season of life, and said enough is enough. 
I'm going to fulfill my own pleasures. I deserve what I want now. And what's so sad about that? It's not, it's not sitting in righteous judgment on them. I'm no better. We're no better. But the story, the end of that story is never good. The end of that story is never flourishing. The end of that story is never blessing and hope and fulfillment and flourishing. You see, friends, we all want to be fulfilled. I love what C.S. Lewis says, and it's a point we need to hear. God looks at our desiring, our hunger for fulfillment, and he doesn't say you desire too much. He says you're far too easily pleased. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, I want you to, when you desire me, the God of heaven and earth, then you start to get the magnitude of how he created the capacity of our fulfillment. It's not that sex won't give us some sense of fulfillment. It's not that money won't give us some sense of fulfillment. It's not that conquering in business and achievement in business or our profession or in sports or whatever won't give us some sense of fulfillment, but it won't give us the capacity of fulfillment that we've been created for. Only God will do that. And that's what God is calling us to. He is not being an ogre when he calls us to obedience. He is, he is calling us to the greatest fulfillment. Listen to his words in Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk, walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you were precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Did you hear those words? Hear it. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I'm with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from um, afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. That's the capacity of your fulfillment. His glory. His glory. Only God can fill the capacity that, you, that is in you, that is the source of your design, whom I formed and made. God speaks to us through Isaiah in powerful, even shocking ways. He, 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 he confronts Israel's sin, and it, it's kind of hilarious and it's tragic. Uh, in, in chapter 1, God calls Israel dumber than donkeys. <laughs> Listen to this, chapter 1, verse 3. This is, this is God. The ox knows its owner. And the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. You're as dumb as an ox. I mean, that's what we are when we chase sin. When we rebel against the God of glory for the things of this world, 
We are dumb as donkeys. And indeed, we deserve the title of this next indictment in chapter 121. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Dear friends, those words are just as pertinent today to the church as they were then. We are a whore. We look to the things of this world in the church to give us what only God can give us. We think that the strategies of the world must be applied in the church for God's kingdom to be advanced. Stop trusting money and wealth. Stop trust, start trusting in God and building his kingdom. It's interesting. This issue of justice is a thread um, that goes all throughout. And it's not injustice in the world. It's injustice in, in the nation of Israel or to applicable for us today in the church. All we care about is ourselves. All we care about is using God to pad our wallets so that we can build our kingdom. I mean, that's, that's the message of Isaiah. Check it out in chapter 1. I, I just read it. They do not bring justice to the fatherless and to the widow's cause. That is not an indictment on Assyria or Babylon. That is an indictment on Israel. It is not the government's job to do the church's job. It's the church's job, and if the church does it, the government won't have to. We are not to prevailly, merely to provide equal opportunity. We're to sacrifice ourselves. Not out of compulsion, so says Paul, but because we know the grace of God. The Lord is supreme over our idols. What's interesting there, and we're going to be fleshing it out, is that our idolatry blinds us and is the root cause of the injustice and the suffering of my neighbor. That, that is the wickedness of selfish living. That's the, the wickedness of individual kingdom, using God to manipulate God to somehow bless our little kingdom. Because what we're doing is we are, we're, we're all about our kingdom, therefore we can't be about the kingdom of our neighbor. And friends, this is how Memphis can be one of the most church cities in the country and yet the poorest in the country. This is why we can have the statistics that, that Kevin mentioned a minute ago. It's because the church has said, oh, if you bless us, then we will have more money to give away. And God says, give your money away, but give yourself away. Lay your life down because that's what I did. We're going to get there. And then thirdly, though, in the midst of all this bad news, the Lord promises a remnant. I don't know if you saw this article, and probably not a lot of people read the um, Wall Street Journal, but a woman by the name of Erica Anderson wrote a piece this past week, an op-ed piece called, Thank God American Churches Are Dying. <laughs> and uh, I had to read it. I was like, I got to read that one. Um, 
And it was really, really good because what she was saying was that the major denominations are all declining, but the non-denominational church is, is growing um, an exponential pace. And I would, I would add to that that our denomination, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, as well as the PCA and uh, the Reformed Church and so many other Presbyterian denominations and, and, and every large denomination, every major denomination, mainline denomination has this. They have offshoots of those, uh, the remnant, if you will, saying we're going to stay true to God's word. We're going we're gonna, to um, you know, follow the king and, and not change for the culture and so forth. Well, Anyway, that is her, um, that is her, uh, her point. But her point is this, and that is, yeah, the mainline churches are dying, but Christianity is not dying. Because God is the God of his people. And, and God's church will never die. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Friends, I've been, that was my theme verse in the, in the first church that I planted, and it's been my theme verse. I can't tell you how many times I've preached that verse to myself. It may look bleak. It may feel like the righteous are being forsaken, but Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Don't compromise. Hold the course. Stay true. Jesus is building this church. God will have a remnant. And this is the story of the Old Testament. I mean, it's, it's all, I mean, if you read this and you see that the behavior of the people of God and the rebellion to the Old Testament, you've got to say, how in the world is there still a church? How in the, I mean, if you can't ruin a church by the sins that we're going to look at in Isaiah, it can't be ruined, and that's the point. We can't out God's grace you know, and, and, and maybe here, it may be bleak here, it may be bleak in Europe, but if we look at the church, the, the, the true church, it's, 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 blow, it's blowing up in uh, Latin America, it's blowing up in Africa, it's blowing up in parts of Asia. The church is growing. There were 10 million Christians in Africa in 1900. By 2025, they, there are estimates there'll be 633 million there are 640 million in Latin America, 460 million in Asia. Things look bleak in Israel, but not with God because he is the God of history and he always holds a remnant. May we not lose hope. Uh, Michael Davis um, preached at Second Prez a couple months ago at night. Well, he preached three times, but we, several of us went to see him at night. And he made this statement. He was talking about church unity, and he made this statement, and I loved it. I mean, he, here he was as a black man preaching in the pulpit of Second Presbyterian Church that was segregated up until, you know, um, several year, 50 years ago or so. And, and he made this statement, and it stuck with me. It's about, about all I remember from that sermon, because I just couldn't get it out of my head. He said, look at us tonight. After 400 years of slavery, does it make any sense that we would be in the same room together? Oh, but God... You see, this is the kind of God we serve. It's a God that's reigning over history. It's a, it's a God that is greater than our idols. And it's a God who indeed all, promises a remnant and always holds a remnant. Chapter 10, 21 of Isaiah, a remnant will return. And he was telling that to a people when there were very few. 
and it seemed like they were the only ones. Do you feel like the only one at your work? Do you feel like the only one in your household? Do you feel like the only one in your family? Do you feel like the only one in your neighborhood? There's, you're a remnant. And oh, one day, someday. One day, someday. And then fourthly, the Lord reconciles God and sinner on the basis of atonement. I love it. The movie Just Mercy. Um, I've read the book a couple of times, but the movie I thought was really good because it hones in on Brian Stevenson, who is a um, Harvard Law School grad, moved to Montgomery, Alabama uh, to start the Equal Justice um, Initiative, basically um, defending um, those on death row, <clears throat> many they're uh, falsely charged and, and innocent. And Walter McMillan, the, the, the story or the movie Just Mercy focuses in on Walter McMillan, who, um, who had an affair with a white woman, um, was married with two or three children, and um, a young, I think 18-year-old white girl in Montgomery was murdered, and he was charged with the crime, even though there was literally no proof, and he was sent to death row in 1989 for a murder he didn't commit. And uh, because of the affair and all that, one of the most powerful um, scenes in the movie was when, his wife, when he went to court and his wife Minnie and their children came and were sitting there for him. And, and all I could think about in that scene was Minnie. Because this is, this is how we say we all want peace and we all want reconciliation. But you know the only way to get it, the only way we can get it, is by the, the one who's really offended paying the price. The, the oppressed, the, the, the one who has been offended, if they don't pay the price of forgiveness, there is no reconciliation. That's what we see at the very heart of God we see that in God's posture toward Israel, he is declaring judgment. But judgment is not the end of the story. He points out the sin. He exposes them for who they are. And then he talks about this suffering servant. And we see, it, we see this whole issue um, or, or theme of, of atonement in, in Isaiah's call in chapter 9, where he experiences God as holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The only thing that can fill the earth is the holiness of God. And indeed, it does fill the earth. And in the midst of encountering God, in the midst of a, 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 an experience with God, what happens? His response, exposure of sin, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so, God doesn't stop there. Friends, if, if you're stuck at the point of your guilt and shame, that's not God, that's the devil. That's your flesh. God just never leaves you in your guilt and shame. He always leads you to atonement. We see this, and then an angel took a burning coal and touched the lips of Isaiah, and he said, ah, Behold, your sins have been atoned for. And then he says, here am I, send me. Who shall go? Here am I, send me. We see 
this whole theme of atonement. And because we hear it so much, it's so easy to pass over. But understand this. Let's put it in that context. Think about the people that have offended you. Think about the people that you don't want to be in the same room with. Think about the people that maybe you've even moved away from out of town. Think about the people that have hurt you, betrayed you. Would you give your life for them? See, this is not atonement, sacrificial love. This does not originate with man. This originates with God. But it's at the essence of God. Listen to Isaiah 53. We're going to hear a lot about Isaiah 53 throughout the study. But listen, he who has believed what they heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. In other words, he was just kind of common looking, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But even then, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Who did we transgress against? Him and his law. He, he is the one being offended. He is the one being sinned against. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. We can go on. Dear friends, God is, God is not merely a God of wrath. And we see this most clearly on the cross when literally the nails are going into his hands on the cross, when God the Father is about to abandon him to hell itself, what is on Jesus' mind? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Yes, they do. They know exactly what they're doing. Dear friends, atonement is at the heart of God. And friends, if we are going to have impact in this community, in this world, atonement must be at the heart of us as believers. God gave everything to us that we might be purchased and we must give everything to those around us. See, that's a kingdom kind of life and we have a motive and it's Christ himself. And then another theme, fifthly, is the Lord will make Jerusalem new. Oh, this is so wonderful. Friends, God has an agenda, and it's, it, it's not to make America great again. And I mean that. I want you to hear me. And it's not going to be whatever the next man or woman says. His agenda never comes down through world governments. We have got to hear this. I don't know how to say it any plainer. God's agenda in the world is not a holy nation. It's a holy church doing his kingdom work from America to Asia to Africa to Latin America, to North America. 
It's his church throughout the world, his church that has literally no boundaries. A church that is all about the same agenda, and it's the atoning work of Jesus Christ coming to us individually that it might flow out of us corporately, that it might tangibly be transcribed into, a, into kingdom agendas. Because every agenda has to be held up to, to the atoning work of Jesus Christ, to the suffering servant, to the one who gave himself for his enemies. Because the only way that death and darkness is going to be defeated, it's not through power, it's not through legislation. It's through someone dying for their neighbor. Do you hear me? Friends, it's this lifestyle. Why is the church in America so absolutely sterile and powerless? Because we are not dying. And we are judging the world around us. We are casting stones at the world around us. We are breaking glass windows when God says, build my kingdom with gospel atoning windows. Windows that need to be broken. Lives that need to be laid down. Think about the church in China. It, it, it just boggles the mind. I mean, if, if there's a government that's tried to extinguish Christianity, it's the Chinese government. Yet, there were 3 million Christians in the 1980s, but now there are over 100 million. It's growing at a 7% rate. It's unbelievable. If we learn anything from Isaiah, it's that we are not to look to political leaders to grow or extend us. But what is God doing? God is seeking to save the nations with a people that are humbly willing to walk by faith and trust Him. Here's the problem with making alliances with those in power. Then we're indebted to them. We must not be indebted to anyone but Christ. Period. Because the minute someone feels like they have control over us, we are controlled. We have to be, we, we need to be truth tellers. We need to be lovers of our neighbors. And the only way to do that is to not make alliances with those in power, but to love them unconditionally and to lay our lives down for them. Because God, what he's doing is he's not trying to make a great country, but he's going to usher in a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth. You say, what does that look like? Well, glad you asked. Isaiah 65. Oh, this is so good. This is what ought to... Here's the, here's the stump speech right here for God. Uh, this is what he's about. Isaiah 65, uh, 17 and following. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or even come to mind. Have you ever had a meal so good you couldn't remember the bad meals? Wow. Be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Oh, what if the church were that today to this world? What if we brought joy to the world? What if we brought gladness and not condemnation and stiffness and judgment? 
I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. There's some mothers in here that feel the hope of that. Is that not beautiful? This is the kind of God you have that gives you a literal picture of what his goodness is like. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Oh, wow. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall uh, long enjoy the work of their hands. What's heaven like? Do we work? Oh, we work and there's actual fulfillment. Do you know how hard it is? I'm not looking for sympathy. One of the challenges of my job is I never know if anything I do or anything I say has any impact. <laughs> One day, someday. One day, someday. I will know. I will enjoy the work of my hands. They shall not labor in vain. Do you ever feel like your work is vain? Don't lose hope. Trust in a new heaven and a new earth because one day your work will not be in vain. I'm sorry for my voice, but I don't have much control over it. Bad cold. Or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. What? You won't even have to ask for what you need. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt. I guess the only thing not redeemed is the serpent. Sorry, snakes. They, you know... They don't deserve it, I promise. Uh, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. A new heaven, a new earth. Doesn't that sound much better than a greater America? Doesn't that sound better than a greater China or a greater Asia? Or a greater, doesn't that sound like something worth laying your life down for? This king who will bring a new heaven and a new earth. Something new is something that's never been experienced. You can't say, oh, well, we've, that's old hat. No, it's something so marvelous, so incredible that our brains literally cannot even design its goodness. It doesn't have the capacity to understand or even design or dream about how incredible it will be. That is the new heaven. That is the new earth. That is the new Jerusalem. And then sixthly and very shortly, the Lord is the Holy One. I have a cold. Why do I have a cold? Because I'm, well, because I have a cold, I have germs, and you don't want to drink after me. And I'm not even going to shake your hand today. Why? Because I might infect you. I love the term, the, the, the Holy One of Israel, the, the term Holy One is used 25 times in the book of Isaiah. It's more than the whole rest of the Old Testament combined. And so our God who reigns over us, the Holy One of Israel, the one who reigns supremely high, supremely holy, the one that you can't even think about in your own strength, touching or getting near, is the God 
who will have this kind of relationship with you in the new heavens and the new earth. He will answer your prayers before you pray them because he knows what you need. This is the God who loves you, and this is the God who's come down to atone for your sins. And his name is Jesus. And he is a friend of sinners. The Holy One of Israel is a friend of sinners because of his atoning work. The Holy One of Israel is the one that you can trust in the midst of whatever exile you're in. You feel like you're banished. You feel like you're alone. He is the one that you can trust and hold on to. And he will bring you into the promised land. Jesus is the Holy One of Israel, and Jesus is the one who brings all of your hopes, all of your dreams, who exceeds them to everlasting, to everlasting, to everlasting. Dear friends, if that is your God this morning, rejoice. If that is not your God, why not? Why wouldn't you want a God? Why wouldn't you bend your knee? It costs you nothing but your life. That's nothing compared to this kind of God. Oh, dear friends, may we trust in this Jesus. May we trust in this atoning Savior, this suffering servant. May we trust in the Holy One of Israel that we might be fulfilled and we might be the kingdom workers that we've been called and redeemed to be. And may our march through Isaiah bring us to that end as we come into it more deeply and more deeply. May the king grow large in our hearts and may we become kingdom men and women. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the giving Isaiah this incredible vision. Thank you that we can know the end from the beginning, that we are not just stagnant in the midst of our lives, but, oh God, <laughs> you, you, you give us incredible hope. You call us to repentance and yet you call us to the new Jerusalem. You call us to work for the new Jerusalem. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so, O oh God. Thank you. We come now, we bring our tithes and offerings, receive them. Thank you, O oh God, for how good you are to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.